Welcome to Animals Today, your home for serious talk about animals. I'm Dr. Peter Spiegel. Well, the news out of Utah is that the ag-gag law there has been found unconstitutional. The judge's ruling has just been handed down, and with us today to analyze is legal expert Bob Ferber. Bob is former Los Angeles animal cruelty prosecutor and often joins us to offer his analysis. Hey, Bob. Hi, Peter. Tell us what happened here. Just lay out the some of the facts, and we can get into the rationale for the decision. Well, it's uh, the, the background, as, as the case pointed out, is that as animal activists in the 90s started to expose, uh, and I, I hate using the term activists, but just people who cared about animals, whatever you want to call them, uh, started un- uh, uncovering horrible abuses uh, in uh, factory farming and in institutional facilities where they use animals, mostly factory farming. And I, I think a lot of that had to do with the advent of new technology, the ability to have small cameras, to have di- digital uh, equipment. And so we saw in the 90s, uh, more well, in the 70s and 80s, actually, more and more efforts to uncover actual abuse. And just about anybody in this country that's watched a television news show or been on the internet knows and has seen some of these horrible acts of animal abuse and neglect that occur on these factory farms. And they were all revealed because of animal lovers who went undercover, uh, either were able to take photographs or reveal it by sort of peeking over a fence, looking through a peephole, or in uh, as time went on, found better ways to do it by gaining employment uh, at these facilities, literally going undercover, observing vast amounts of animal abuse, uh, documenting it and bringing it to the attention of the public. And in most cases, it did result in criminal prosecutions and public outrage. And the, but there wasn't, several states started passing laws trying to criminalize and make it illegal for these people, these animal lovers, to reveal this information. And, uh, but there were virtually no prosecutions for that at that time, as the court in this recent case pointed out. Uh, the laws really weren't used, but as animal activists started getting more and more uh, successful, I would say, in revealing even more and more horrible abuses, some of which even resulted in the closing of some factories or recalls of of meat and other animal products, Uh, several of the states either refined their laws or passed tough tough new laws and started enforcing them. And that's how we get to this case where... The woman that was filming the animal abuse was not on their private property, but public property. She was arrested, and but at some point her case was actually dismissed. In spite of that, the Animal Legal Defense Fund challenged the law, saying that even though she did not get charged or convicted, that uh, the law as it stands now, especially based on that arrest, uh, has what we call in law a chilling effect on future legal activities. And so now this law is preventing people from engaging or intimidating, threatening people not to engage in what is believed to be legal activity, in other words, filming from public property. So even though her case was dismissed, there was a 
whole uh, legal discussion about whether or not they could still challenge this law. And my recollection is that PETA also was uh, a party to this because they had some of their folks. uh, Yes. uh, Okay, so then the case makes it into court. And what are the issues facing the judge? What what's the story here? Well, it's uh, it it comes down to uh, a basically, interestingly, a free speech issue. First of all, most people probably think of free speech as simply saying something or writing something down. Well, with technology and evolution of of the law, free speech can include everything from talking to documenting information to relate to other people, filming. And so the court went into whether or not filming is free speech uh, or speech. And the court agreed that, uh, according to ALDF, Animal Legal Defense Fund, that this was uh, impacting the speech or the rights of people to observe and then relay what they've seen uh, on these factory farms. Okay, so we determined that the parties obviously have standing because this went forward, and then right. and then we've established that free speech is uh, more than just speech these days. And how about whether you film on someone's private property or get on that property under false pretenses or get employed by lying? Those issues came up also. Can you briefly summarize why that's important? The court talked about lying, false pretenses, and it also talked about whether free speech applies to just private property or being on public property. The court went into a lot of sort of some of the stuff, in my opinion, didn't even really apply to this one case, but they they explored the whole area and really sort of analyzed how the First Amendment works and made it clear that there's First Amendment protection whether you're in private, private property or public property. So they sort of dismissed that distinction. They also discussed what standards of law apply uh, and, and uh, you know, how it's called a it's a level of scrutiny, and it's a little uh, it's a little complex. But basically, uh, laws are not allowed to be passed that restrict what you say. The state argued, Peter, that this was not a content-based law. They weren't trying to restrict anybody by saying anything. That this applied to just anything about photographs or whatever. But the court, without going into detail, drew disagreed and said that these laws are clearly targeted at people that want to find something wrong with the industry. And in fact, it's really part of the background of the law. And the court talks about and quotes people that supported the law, co-sponsors, and they made it clear that this law was targeting people that were trying to find something bad about the agricultural industry. And in general, the court said this is a content-based law in that it is, in that sense, it is uh, very suspect uh, because it is, uh, it, it is actually seems to be going after a particular view. The court said, looked at the issue of lying and that lying was a basis for, is really a part of all of these undercover videos and photographs so that in some way or another, these people have been found to be, the, the animal activists are lying to say that they want to work in the factory or they're just doing a newspaper article or they're coming up with some pretense for being able to get into these places or near them so they can take the photographs. The state is arguing that that's not protected by the Constitution and that it's it's allowed 
the state is allowed to make that kind of lying illegal. And the court said no. Uh, it went into a great analysis, but it talked about numerous situations where people apply for employment, where people, I, I, th I think my favorite one, Peter, was the food critic who goes into a restaurant and is clearly there to see how the food is. But the food critic doesn't tell and the restaurant that he or she's a food critic. Uh, the court said that if there was a law that tried to prevent that, it would be illegal. So there are examples of common examples of where you can lie or deceive, and uh, and it is constitutional. So the court rejected the state's argument that because these people were lying, that that meant that they weren't protected by the First mm -hmm. Amendment. And in this ruling, did any of the 14th Amendment issues come up? It was part of the Idaho decision recently, but I don't recall seeing it in this one. Even in its conclusion, it doesn't really make mention of that. Mm -hmm. uh, what I'm just guessing is that the court just uh, just didn't feel the need to address that. Okay, Bob, so we have our ruling here. What happens now? Uh, like any law, you know, we've talked about this with other laws also, that when a state higher court makes a, or federal court makes a, a determination about what the law is, they're basing it on that set of circumstances. There's many, many other situations other than just taking photographs from public property. We, we have undercover situations where people are literally going in for employment and staying there six months to a year. Uh, is that deceptive in hurting the business. Uh, the court made reference that if somebody applies for a job and says, I can, I can uh, operate heavy machinery that will, you know, let's say a tractor that pulls large animals, and they don't really know how to use that, that puts the company in danger. Uh, is that, can that be illegal? Or is that still covered by the First Amendment? Uh, as opposed to the food critic who goes in and innocently orders food, and ultimately the only harm the food critic would have is giving a bad review. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's uh, so we have examples of many, many different types of situations that we're going to have to see how they play out. And I can see where this was a good start for animal activism, but this was not the most extreme example of animal activism finding neglect or abuse. This might have been a little, I don't know, confusing discussion. Uh, when, the, when the court started looking at the First Amendment rights, and there's a whole bunch of laws around the country that are sort of challenging First Amendment, bringing up First Amendment issues, it gets very, it gets complicated. And as you and I both saw, the case is very analytical. There's a lot of different arguments going back and forth. And I think that that's purposely because this hasn't really been explored a lot yet. So this court is one of the first to really go back and forth and look at everything, and there's not a lot to go on to help the judges in this case. So I think it's understandable that we may all be a little bit of confused or not certain where this is going to go. But as more and more cases come up, I think courts around the country are going to start refining it and giving better guidance to, well, hopefully the, the guidance they're going to be giving to the states is that back off that, you know, documenting animal abuse, however you do it, is legal. Very good, Bob Ferber. Thanks very much. Okay. More animals today after the break.
For the past quarter century, International Society for Animal Rights has fought the battle against dog and cat overpopulation. Its programs include reducing income taxes by allowing a deduction for spay and neuter expenses, preventing animals adopted from shelters from reproducing, and requiring the mandatory identification of dogs and cats to prevent dumping the unwanted. For a list of all ISAR overpopulation programs, please see their website at www.isaronline.org. Welcome back to the show. Hey, Peter. Hey, Lori. How you doing? I'm great. Peter, the third week of July is Coral Reef Awareness Week, and I thought we'd talk about coral reefs and uh, see how much you know about coral reefs. I was not expecting this. I know. So, coral reefs, as you know, are rocky mounds formed in the sea by living things through the accumulation and deposition of calcium carbonate, also known as limestone. Mm. Coral reefs serve as homes, which house many species of fish, corals, and many other types of marine life. Peter, what are coral reefs mostly made up of? Polyps, algae, marine life, sand. Polyps. That's correct. An individual coral is known as a polyp. It's a very small and very simple organism consisting mostly of guts, tentacles, and a mouth. Toes, a mouth, and a chin, Mm -hmm. tentacles, a nose, and fingers. Whatever you said first. (laughs) That's correct. It's guts, tentacles, and a mouth. I didn't think there'd be a chin. (laughs) Thousands of identical polyps live together and form a colony, a coral colony. And each polyp excretes a calcium carbonate exoskeleton beneath it. And over long periods of time, the skeletons of many coral colonies add up to build the structure of a coral reef. How long is this reef building process, Peter? Like, are we talking in weeks, mm-hmm. months, or are we talking decades and centuries? Well, I'm going to say centuries. That's correct. Wow. Yeah. What do coral use to kill their prey? Mm. Their tentacles, poison that they shoot out from their mouth, or their teeth? Oh, I don't think it's the poison shooting. Uh, how about tentacles? It's the tentacles. So oh, okay. there's the, the stomach topped by a tentacle-bearing mouth. The polyps extend their tentacles at night to sting and ingest tiny organisms called plankton and other small creatures. Yeah. Reefs occur in shallow areas or in deep waters or both? Oh, I think shallow. Yeah, you're doing really good on this okay. quiz, by the way. Coral animals... Mm-hmm. That build tropical reefs require sunlight, so they're found in clear, shallow ocean waters. What does it mean when a coral reef is brightly colored? Is it overheated? Is it alive and healthy? Right. Or is it trying to attract more marine life? Well, it's alive and healthy, and maybe number three also. I don't know. I, I think alive and healthy is the answer. Coral reefs cannot live in temperatures less than how many degrees? Mm. 40 degrees? Fahrenheit, 65 degrees Fahrenheit, 75 degrees Fahrenheit, 90 degrees Fahrenheit. Oh, how about 65 That's Fahrenheit? That's right. Okay, yeah. This is so interesting. What percentage of all marine fish species live at least part of their lives on coral reefs? Wow. Okay. I'll throw a number out there. I'm going to say uh, 20%. One third. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? Which is at least 5,000 different species of wildlife. So we do need to protect those reefs. We sure do. The diversity of fish found on reefs is just huge. 
You ever been scuba diving? Never. I don't I don't think I'd like it. No? How about yeah. snorkel? You okay with that? I'm okay with snorkel. Okay. Just going deep with oxygen in the tank scares me. Yeah. How about you? One time when I was a teenager. Did I you like it? I liked it, but I don't think I knew enough to be uh, sufficiently uh, cautious. Would you do it again? No. Why? I'm a scaredy cat. Okay. I would go snorkeling. Let's. We should go reef snorkeling. It looks beautiful. I would love to do that. Yeah. So we know how important coral reefs are to life in the ocean, and despite this, all of them in the world add up to less than 1% of the seafloor. Isn't that amazing? Mm. What's the largest reef in the world? Mm. Let me give you multiple choice. Okay. The Florida's Big Reef, the Sea Reef, the Fence Reef, the Great Barrier Reef. I'll say the Great Barrier Reef. That's the one I know about. That's the only one you've heard of. Now let's talk a little bit about the threats to reefs. You have warming waters, right? Right, Ocean acidification. Right. What else? The coral reefs are being degraded in other ways by humans like overfishing, right? Pollution from sewage and agriculture. Mm -hmm. And the fishing with the cyanide. I guess they dump cyanide in the water to stun the fish and make it easier for them to capture them. Is that correct? Right, right. And then sedimentation from poor land use practices. Mm -hmm. So reefs and their wildlife are also affected by the aquarium trade, right, Peter? Oh, yeah. Reefs and their wildlife are collected to serve as aquarium pets or decorative items. More than 1,800 species of reef fish, 140 species of corals, and 500 species of other invertebrates are used by the pet and home decor trades. Mm. So despite the importance of coral reefs, they're imperiled throughout the world. One recent report estimates that 75% of remaining coral reefs are currently threatened and may have already been lost. Okay, so as you mentioned before, the third week of July is Coral Reef Awareness Week. So uh, make sure to go online and teach yourself more about coral and coral reefs and look at some of those beautiful pictures and videos and then uh, consider going to visit one yourself like we're going to right Lori that's right and also uh, understand the importance of these reefs and don't support the industries that destroy them if you're like most people you have lots of plans a financial plan an exercise plan, a career plan. You also need a plan for the care of your pets when you no longer can provide it. Every day, animals are sent to shelters, terrified and confused because their owners have become incapacitated or died. Unfortunately, many of them get euthanized. Some people don't give the future a thought. Others assume family members will care for their pets. A better way is to name caregivers and provide detailed instructions about your pet's feeding, social, play, and health care needs. But even designated caregivers can't guarantee your pet will join a stable and loving home. Good intentions sometimes take a backseat to life's realities, like a new spouse who doesn't like animals, a sudden desire to travel the world, or the adoptive caregiver's own illness. A legally enforceable pet trust offers the only assurance that your assets will be used as you wish to provide for the comfort and care of your cherished animal companions. Almost every state recognizes pet trusts. Find out how to create one today and take steps to make sure your pet doesn't risk becoming yet another sad shelter statistic. Plan for your pet's lifelong well-being. This message is brought to you by Advancing the Interests of Animals. That's AIAnimals.org. 
That's AIAnimals.org. Every day in our community, countless animals are starved, beaten, and abused by people. And sadly, most of these cases go unreported, and the abusers get away with it. And in many cases, someone knew about the abuse, but did not report it. So if you see someone hurting an animal, or even if you just suspect something, call the police or animal control right away. Animal abuse does not just mean physically abusing an animal. Neglecting animals can be just as bad. So if you see your neighbor's dog being underfed, left without water, or tied up in the backyard without protection from the elements, it is important to report that too. In many cases, you don't even have to give your name, and your phone call may save an animal's life. Also, we know that many violent and abusive adults got their start by first abusing animals. It's true, people who harm animals often turn their violence against other people, and that is a cycle we need to break. Remember, animals can't speak out for themselves, so reporting animal abuse can save lives. This message is presented by Advancing the Interests of Animals. Visit them at www.aianimals.org. That's aianimals.org. Welcome back to the show. The belief that having a pet or being around domestic animals can confer a host of benefits to people has become seemingly universal. In the business, it's called the pet effect, and there's a multitude of studies and anecdotes pointed to in support of its existence. Knowing that having a pet can help you live longer or protect your heart or relieve stress makes you feel good, doesn't it? But upon more careful examination, the story ain't so simple as we are about to find out. I want to welcome psychologist Hal Herzog, professor emeritus at Western Carolina University and author of Some We Love, Some We Hate, Some We Eat, Why It's So Hard to Think Straight About Animals. Hal's running Psychology Today column is called Animals and Us. Welcome, Hal. Hi, Peter. How are you? Just fine here. Okay, so we want to talk about the purported benefits of pet ownership or being around domestic animals. And this came up recently when you reviewed an interesting study that came out of Korea having to do with crickets. <laughs> yeah, that was a great study. Uh, yeah, the pet, the pet effect's a really interesting phenomena. And there's, um, there's excellent evidence that there's a short-term positive impacts of interacting with animals on people. Um, that is to say, you pet a dog, it reduces your stress level and it Im- improves your mood. But the uh, the long-term benefits have been sort of harder to, to, to pin down and they're more controversial. And uh, yeah, these researchers in Korea um, actually demonstrated a, a, a substantial pet, pet effect in older people who were uh, each given a group of uh, five crickets uh, to take care of for eight weeks. And at the end of the eight weeks, uh, they found that they were less depressed, and then they had a couple of other uh, psychological benefits. Um, and, and to me, this, is, this was a pretty good study, and one reason was it had a reasonably large sample. The other thing was it was a true experiment. And uh, they, had a, had, they had a control group that didn't get crickets, but they had a similar novel, novel experience. Um, and the problem with nearly all the studies that we presently have on the so-called pet effect have been correlational which means that we can't show cause and effect. 
Right. And that, that's a big problem. And yet, these correlational studies, and there are scores of them, or maybe hundreds of them, are pointed to by lots of entities, some with financial interest, it seems, as proof. Indeed. And I, I, was always, I always thought that there was a pet effect until uh, I started writing my book on human-animal interactions. And I had a chapter on, uh, on, on pets. And I, so I began to systematically look at the research that actually owning a pet not just playing with your dog, actually conveys long-term health benefit. Uh, I stumbled on a, a troubling pattern of results. And so I basically wound up with uh, these three stacks of, these three stacks of, uh, of articles on my floor. And one was the uh, expected uh, group of articles, which said that there was a positive pet effect. And they found things like uh, there was lower mortality from uh, uh, you know, heart attacks, uh, for people that own pets, that they have lower blood pressure, lower cortisol levels, it's a stress hormone, that they have better general health, they're less lonely, less depressed, uh, things like that, they're more physically active. But then I started coming upon these other studies that showed the opposite. Hmm. Uh, studies that, that they sh- were, sh- were showed that, for example, pet owners were, were more likely to uh, have a remission or to die after a heart attack, or that their blood pressure was higher, that they were lonelier, more depressed, that they were more likely to have insomnia, uh, migraine headaches, that they were pet owners were less physically active. And then I had a third stack of papers which found no effect. And I was just shocked by this because I had seen all these news reports that you've seen that you've been talking about showing that pet owners live longer and uh, you know, have better health. And the more I looked at that, that, date, that whole body of that literature, I concluded that um, we really don't know if there's a pet effect or not. And uh, it, it, it's certainly not as big as most people think it is. That, that's the best we can say. Hmm. And of, of course, you've referred to this elsewhere, is the uh, well-known fourth group of research studies, and that is the study that's never published. That is a very good point. One of the big problems in not just my field, uh, anthozoology, which is the study of human-animal interactions, but it's also true in clinical medicine and and biology, is that we basically have a science uh, based on experiments that work. And the reason for that is, is called the file drawer effect. And what the file drawer is, is that researchers do an experiment, and if it doesn't work, they typically don't send it out for publication. Or if they do, it's much less likely to get accepted for publication by journals. Um, so we basically have a, a very difficult problem in science that our research is skewed uh, toward the experiments that work as opposed to the ones that don't work. And this is certainly true, this is certainly true with media coverage uh, right, of right. research on the pet effect, but also science generally. In fact, there was a recent study where they looked at uh, headlines, you know, you know, scientific reports that made the headlines. And they found subsequently 50% of those uh, studies were not replicated. In other words, they, they turned out not to be true, and other people tried to repeat them. But the papers never covered the retractions. Furthermore, studies which reported negative results virtually never get reported by the news. So I think it's for this reason is that the public has a vastly inflated view of the uh, positive impact that animals have on human health. And by the way, I'm not, I'm not anti-pet. I think I'm a pet lover. I've always had pets. My wife and I have, uh, you, know, you know, we have a cat right now that we love dearly. So I'm not opposed to pets. What I am opposed to is uh, the hype 
which says that you should get a pet because it's going to make you healthier. That is simply, I would argue, not the case, but a, but a more, but a more uh, probably objective uh, analysis would be that we don't know if that's true or not. And I think anyone who's familiar with your work appreciates you uh, taking a very uh, careful and uh, scrupulous scientific approach to all these topics, because really we want the, the real data that's out there. So I'll, I'll thank you on behalf of all your, your fans. Well, there's also well, th- thank you. I think I think there's some some you know, some people have criticized you know me and other people making the same point. And they said, well, there's no harm. There's no harm in getting a pet. So why shouldn't people get pets? Because I think it's going to be good for them. Well, there are some costs, and uh, one cost is is monetary. The lifetime expense of getting a cat or a dog is uh, roughly ten thousand dollars. You know, that's a that's a lot of money. Not everybody can afford that. Furthermore. People who get pets because they think it's going to make them healthier, they don't always bond with that animal. I talked to a journalist a year or two ago, and we were talking about the pet effect, and she she told me her story, and her story was that she had uh, was, was a, had recently moved to New York City and was lonely and had gotten a dog. She got a Weimar and her puppy. Mm-hmm. And, she and, this, she and the dog has never bonded. And she feels guilty because she doesn't love the dog, Yes. Uh, the dog, you know, she's got to take it downstairs and outside and you know, walk it around Manhattan, you know, a couple of times a day so it can go to the bathroom. It interferes with her lifestyle. And she'd really like to get rid of the dog, but she feels guilty about yeah. it. Yeah. And uh, I talked to another friend who's an anthozoologist like me, and she's having the same experience. Mm-hmm. Her, you know, the, the, the pet of her life died uh, last year, and she decided to get a new dog. And the new dog is just not working out, and she doesn't know what to do. So it's not always sweetness and light when it comes when it comes to animals. Yeah. So if you're trying to lose weight or improve your cardiovascular health, you shouldn't just run to the shelter. You can get an app. You can get a friend. You can get a bicycle. There are a lot of ways to improve, improve your health that don't necessarily involve an animal unless that's really your thing. That's exactly true. And the, and the dog walking literature is a particularly good example of that. And what we have is a, a very a growing literature, and uh, much of it, uh, the published literature is saying that uh, dog walking uh, helps people, you know, helps people, you know, get out more and, and move around more. And, and one of the things it does seem to do is it seems to get people talking to their neighbors. Yeah, I'll 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 I'll, I'll concede that. I think there's pretty good evidence for that. But the evidence that people lose weight by walking a dog is pretty sketchy. Yeah. That that's pretty mixed. It turns out that uh, some studies are showing that when people walk dogs, they actually don't walk the dog very fast. They actually walk slower <laughs> than people than people that yeah. are not walking their dog that are doing as you suggest, sort of you know, out jogging. There's mixed results of uh, even the, even the studies of of, uh, of dog walking. How let's uh, conclude by going back to the Korean crickets. Let's say that study is replicated and it's proven to be more universal cross-culturally and with other animals, perhaps other age groups. What might be a cause for that I- effect? Why, why, should that, why should that be? Well, let's discuss what's not the cause of it. It's not because you're getting uh, you know, unconditional love from your cricket. Right. So I think one of the things that I take away from the cricket is that if there's a pet effect, it probably doesn't come from the fact that our uh, our animals our our animals love us necessarily. I think it's very possible that uh, what pets do is they get our mind on off ourselves and onto something else, and uh, taking taking care of something, you know, being it. Uh, 
uh, an animal or being it perhaps even, let's say, an old car that you're rebuilding uh-huh. or, or taking care of your garden. I think all of these things can have uh, possible therapeutic benefits because you do something to do, you have something to do besides beside concentrating on yourself. And so I think that might be one of the reasons that that cricket study worked out. But I'm like you. I, I'm, I'm not advocating people go out and get crickets for their, you know, for their grandparents um, because I think I'd like to see that study replicated. And uh, these days when it comes to science, you know, when I see a, an interesting study, you know, I sort of write about it, and I always sort of have in the back of my head, gee, I hope this is true. Um, I'm going to wait for, for uh, some more evidence before I conclude this is a, a, a true fact as opposed to uh, a fluke. <laughs> Hal Herzog, some we love, some we hate, some we eat. Thank you very much. Fascinating stuff. Well, thanks for having me on the show. Great to talk with you again. And more with Animals Today after the break. I'm Bob DeRigo Jones, and this is Let's Be Fair. In January of 1776, American patriot Thomas Paine published a pamphlet called Common Sense. It helped spark the American Revolution. This January, as we think about our goals for the coming year, let's revisit this historic document and hear what Paine told his fellow colonists. In his opening paragraph, Paine wrote, and I quote, A long habit of not thinking a thing wrong gives it a superficial appearance of being right, and raises, at first, a formidable outcry in defense of custom. In today's language, he was saying that it's easy to lose sight of how wrong something is when it becomes an everyday part of one's life. Let's be fair, that's exactly why we've used these segments each week to highlight the negative impact that excessive litigation has on daily life in America. Now, as we start a new year, we're also going to share stories about how excessive government regulation holds America back. It's time to challenge the status quo. Learn more. Visit our website at centerforamericatv.org. Animals Today fun facts for today are about prairie dogs. Despite their name, prairie dogs are not dogs, but members of the rodent family, like squirrels. They grow to be between 12 and 17 inches in length, and they weigh between 2 and 4 pounds. Prairie dogs are very social rodents that live in huge underground burrows called towns, where they can be tens of thousands of prairie dogs, and their tunnels can travel for miles in every direction. Prairie dogs are very affectionate towards each other and will spend a lot of time grooming each other. They will also touch noses when they approach each other like a little kid. And these are your Animals Today fun facts for the day. Welcome back to Animals Today. Thanks for tuning in and check us out at animalstodayradio.com, animalstodayradio.com. The weather, the weather in Palm Springs has just been spectacular. The rest of the country is suffering, and uh, living in the desert in Southern California is just a delightful thing. And uh, however, it does bring its encounters with wild animals, particularly snakes and spiders and scorpions. And I have to tell you, I'm really I will not ever get used to this. And uh, it's a it's a new experience. Not growing up around around these animals and and uh, I, as much as I want them to live happily I just don't want to have too many close encounters with them but we did have a nice close encounter with a with a snake a uh, couple couple months ago when we were driving right yeah so we were driving along this uh this two-lane road near our house and I see something down maybe 50 yards away it could have been a, a sock or a garment of clothing or whatever but no 
we got a little closer and I see it's really a snake and it's pretty big and it's moving and slowly S shape. I don't know. I, I, well, it was destined to be squished by somebody. Right. So we, we uh, got out like we usually do for, for dogs or mostly for dogs in the road. Right. And, uh, you assumed your usual posture, sure did. hands out, and just having a lot of faith in people that they're going to abide by your wishes. And and uh, so I got this. I see the snake, and he's she. I figured out she's a she. She looked pretty fat and probably pregnant. I'm guessing. Not not really expert on these things. And taking her time, just going across the road. And and uh, I was trying to get her to go into the bushes along the edge of the road, and she she. Responded to, I would tap her tail a tiny bit. She wasn't rattling or anything like that, but uh, um, she did finally go across and, and get into the bushes and probably went on to the golf course where where where, where we were. And I sent the, uh, you know, while I'm doing this, of course, you've got to photograph it, you know, you ha- and you have to video document what you're doing. And I sent it off to one of our local, actually a world-renowned expert in these things and it was indeed a rattlesnake and, and uh probably pregnant too wow and and uh looking at these videos i'm a little little it makes me a little worried how close i was with my foot touching uh. <laughs> and so anyway she are got you, away are you okay. more worried about that or more worried about your wife being hit by a car trying to stop uh, you traffic? know what i i can do something about the snake okay but, but you're you're gonna do what you're gonna do so <laughs> You've had some encounters? I, oh, yes. Boy, years ago when I was in Tucson, Arizona for my residency training, this was years ago, came home late one night, yeah. upstairs apartment, just walked up, maybe 11, 12 at night. I was tired. I was hungry. I was anxious to get inside. At my doorstep was a huge, <laughs> hairy <laughs> tarantula. Mm-hmm. So, of course, I let out this blood-curdling scream that could have woken up all my neighbors, and it did, a couple of them at least. My neighbor who lives, lived in the adjacent apartment complex next to me heard me, ran out. He thought I was being mugged or attacked and ran up the stairs and said, what's wrong? What's wrong? And he sees this, the, the tarantula and says, oh, that's just a little spider, nothing to be scared of. <laughs> Went back into his house, got his tennis racket. Yeah. We're, we're tennis buddies. It's yeah. the same racket he plays tennis with. And he um, gently encouraged the tarantula to climb on his little racket and he... He humanely and gently relocated the the tarantula to a, a little empty desert lot nearby. Mm-hmm. That was it. Yeah, and it's it's you can't forget these. You can't episodes, forget, right? These, right. Something about the not only the size. I mean, the, and it's you know it got some substance to it. It's not a skinny little legged creature. It's it's like got some heft to it and then you imagine things like he's gonna right the hairs you imagine he might jump i know and just you know attached to your chest or something or (laughs) your face i know these nightmares (laughs) they just come alive and then then just suck your blood i mean you just (laughs) you just worry what's gonna happen so of course your your imagination just runs away but um yeah that's it and how about our living room remember that episode well that i past summer personally okay (laughs) <laughs> so I, I, we're just sitting one evening watching television. And, right. and again, you were the first to notice something. Right? Oh, we were just, we were trying to relax. It was like on a Saturday night, we're just trying to relax. And yeah. I had, I saw something on my peripheral vision, some yeah. little thing 
run by, well, I thought ran by, but it, I thought it was maybe a, a cat or someone playing there. And yeah. I had t- took a double take and there it was, yep. a huge little, <laughs> huge little <laughs> tarantula. That's a, a little, as I, I recall. Yeah. <laughs> Just walking by. In the living room. Walking on the, on by, the, the right, tile. right, right, behind the couch. And <laughs> and I screamed, I said, Peter, look, and you, you missed it. Right. You missed it. He'd already walked behind the couch, so you had to actually go. You thought, really? Right. You kidding me? And I, we found him. You found him. And <laughs> I was that, worried that we were going to lose him. I know. That was your main thing. That was the main thing. Like, I can't go to bed. And then knowing he, we didn't catch him in the house. Right, right. Crawling so, on my face at night. So I used a piece of athletic equipment also. Oh, yeah? To, what was that? To the lacrosse That's right. Stick. So pulled out the lacrosse stick That's from right. the garage. And uh, you got a nice uh, box or bucket, I think you got. Yeah. And and I, I don't love this either. S- similar... I don't, I don't like getting too close to spiders or snakes, to tell you the truth. And, uh, but I was able to encourage this guy to crawl up into the basket, the netting of, of this stick, and he didn't seem to mind. And, and I placed it in the bucket. He didn't seem to mind crawling into there, too. And it's, he's moving very slow, but still this notion... Uh, oh, is he going to jump on my neck or something know, like that, you know, at any moment? So, and this is the same lacrosse stick you bought purposely, purposely. to play with our little pit mixed Cosmo because he yes. loves the ball, chasing the ball. Yeah, that really works out well, especially if you know how to use one of these things, right? It's a multi-purpose and, and, yeah. function here. Yeah. It's good. So I love that. <laughs> okay, good. Okay, so what's the point of this? This point, point of, of this. Oh. Well, you don't have to kill these uh, little critters. Right. You can humanely relocate them, That's even if exactly you don't right. feel Thank all you. warm and fuzzy about them. That's exactly right. There you go. Good point. Thank you, Peter. You're welcome. And thank you for listening to Animals Today. This is Dr. Lori Kirshner encouraging you to nurture your love and compassion for the only other beings sharing our planet, the animals. There is no getting around it. The great outdoors isn't so great for your cat. From speeding cars to toxic lawn chemicals, coyotes to cruel humans, cats are no match to the dangers of today's world. The good news is animal behavior experts say cats don't need to go outside to be happy. Your family will be happier and healthier too without the ticks, fleas, diseases, and the dead critters the outdoor cats bring their owners. And you will never have to explain to a crying child who or what hurt her pet or why he hasn't come home. Cats can enjoy a happy and safe life indoors. The key is to provide attention, exercise, and a stimulating environment. Play with your cat. It's fun for both of you. You can hide toys around the house, too. Just make sure there can be no detachable parts that can be swallowed. You can protect your cat from becoming a tragic statistic. Tomorrow may be too late. This message is brought to you by Advancing the Interests of Animals. Visit them at www.aianimals.org. That's aianimals.org. Hi, this is Lori. And it's Peter here. And make sure you check us out at animalstodayradio.com. Animalstodayradio.com. And visit us on Facebook. And you can also subscribe on iTunes. Listen to us on iTunes. That's animalstodayradio.com. Thanks for listening.